Verse 13 of Mark chapter 2 says this, Then he, Jesus, went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he, Jesus, said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. And then they came to him and said to him, Why do you, your, the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Just thanking you, Lord. Just coming to you myself, Lord, just surrendered. Just acknowledging, Lord, that um, I'm weak as a human being. Fundamentally and profoundly, I'm weak. I am subject to many, many um, failings and, and fallings and sin and distractions. And I just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that none of that will get in the way of you speaking a Christmas message on this Sunday morning Christmas. To us, I pray that you speak to my heart so then I can in turn speak to the hearts of those watching and listening. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you so loved us that you sent your son. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated.
You may be seated. So we have been speaking on Sunday morning about a series of events surrounding the calling of Matthew, known here as Levi. Soon after Jesus began his ministry, he had a great many people following him. That's what it says uh, at the uh, end of verse 15. There were many and they followed him. Many people were following him at this time, but there were 12 who Jesus called into a closer relationship with him. Uh, the 12 apostles who uh, would eventually be the foundation of the church. Now, at this point in the book of Mark, Jesus had already called four apostles, Peter and Andrew, fishermen, brothers, James and John, also fishermen, brothers, and they followed him. And then here in Mark chapter 2, verse 14, he calls Levi or Matthew, and Matthew follows Jesus. And we see here in verse uh, uh, 16, it says that uh, verses 15 and six, actually verse 15, it says there was a great feast, a great uh, feast. You could say a party uh, that uh, Matthew holds for Jesus and his followers. They're all at this feast. Now, at this feast, there are drug dealers, there are gang leaders, there's pimps, there's mafia bosses, uh, there were thieves, or the equivalent of these kind of people at that time. And by this time, again, as we spoke, there's lots of people um, interested in Jesus, including religious leaders because Jesus had been teaching in their synagogues. In Mark chapter 1 verse 22, it says that people were astonished at his teaching. And added to that, Jesus, uh, many who were sick and diseased were brought to Jesus. And it says that, um, it says in the gospels, every one of them Jesus healed, including a leper, including um, a paralyzed man, including many demon-possessed people. And so enormous crowds were following him that got the attention of religious leaders. And they're looking him, looking at Jesus at this feast. He's with drug dealers, gang leaders, pimps and mafia bosses. And they're stunned. How can this holy man be hanging around these people? How can he be holy and be eating and drinking with people like that. Uh, Jesus' answer in verse 17, uh, his answer to that question, is this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now, I don't believe Jesus was being sarcastic when he said that. 
Um, however, I do believe that there is what I would call tremendous irony here, or may, uh, I should actually say earth-shattering irony uh, in that statement. Why? Because uh, the people... There were, he says, I did not come the righteous, but uh, sinners to repentance. What is, what we read into that statement there is, I did not come to call people who uh, think they are righteous to repentance. He's saying, I did not come to people who think they have no need um, of a physician. I came to uh, help people who know they are in deep, deep, deep trouble. Now, I don't think there that he's being sarcastic. I do think there's irony. And, and the reason is, is because the Bible teaches that everyone, everyone, everybody, including you, including me, is in a whole lot of trouble with God. A whole lot of trouble with God when their life is compared to the Ten Commandments. Their life, your life, my life falls just indescribably short. As far as the heaven is above the earth, you fall short of God's law. If you don't believe me, just skip right over the first nine commandments to the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. What does coveting mean? It means looking for looking at something that someone else has and longing for it for yourself. In other words, uh, someone's wife, someone's husband, someone's boyfriend, someone's girlfriend, Someone's house, their car, their job, their money, their friends, their their ministry, their beauty, their body, their personality, their life, um, um, uh, their anything. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, which is the verse, thou shall not covet, you shall not long for something that is someone else's, actually says you shall not covet anything. So that puts you in a lot of trouble. You say, why? I mean, this is just, uh, what's so bad about that? This is just stuff that happens, something that I do in my own mind. Well, it may have something that may be occurring uh, in your own mind, but to God, that uh, is really, really important stuff because uh, that which is in your mind, the Bible says, leads you to breaking Every other commandment, the nine previous commandments, murder, adultery, stealing, and lying, uh, stealing, they all start with coveting, longing for something that is someone else's that you don't have, longing for something that God doesn't want you to have, longing for it. And, and uh, just think about the first uh, commandment. Uh, it, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, you shall have no other God before me. How does coveting lead to a violation of that? Because by coveting, by longing for something that is, or anything that is someone else's, you are putting yourself in the position of God. 
because you are saying you know better than God what is good for you and what's good for everyone around you. So, based upon the 10th commandment alone, you're in big, big trouble with God. And in case you're wondering whether God uh, may be really, whether or not he's really, really serious about this, uh, in case you're wondering whether God is kind of like your grandfather who sees you misbehaving and he kind of smiles and winks and uh, shakes his head or something like that. Uh, in fact, the Bible says that right after God spoke the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet, Exodus 20, verse 17. The very next verse the very, very next verse, verse 18, says this. It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountains smoking, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Calvary Chapel God is really serious about the Ten Commandments. He's really, really, really serious. He's serious about the Ten Commandment. You shall not covet. You not, shall not long for anything that is someone else's. But you've done that. And you've done it a lot. Which means what? You're in a lot of trouble with God when your life is compared to that standard. But I have good news for you, that God so loved you, that he wanted to personally get you out of this trouble that you have heaped up on yourself. So 2,000 years ago, he personally sent his only son to planet Earth, who came as a man, or better put, who came originally as a baby boy to a poor carpenter and his wife, and at his at his birth, he was placed in a feeding trough of cows and mules because there was no lodging for his parents or him in the uh, available at the time. And this baby boy, he grew up. And when he became of age, about 30 years of age, he began to call people who were in a lot of trouble with God like you, to repentance. Repentance, which means doing a U-turn with your life. Most importantly, in your heart, in which in your heart you make Jesus Christ your king, as opposed to you being king of your heart. He called people he began calling people 2,000 years ago as soon as he became of age, or as soon as he was 30 years of, uh, 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 old to repentance. Repentance, which also means just acknowledging that there's no way you can possibly in a thousand lifetimes pay back God for all the times that you've coveted. You can't do it. The, you can't pay back God for the 10,000 times that you've looked at what some, someone else had and you, you long for it for yourself. You can't by your own effort 
work your way out of that trouble by trying to be good or by any other way. You can only, but you can, you can accept God's free Christmas gift of his son by accepting him as king into your heart, believing he paid the price to get you out of trouble by dying for you on a cross. So back in Mark chapter 2. Again, let's continue. Jesus, he said to the religious people, the people who did, want, did not want to believe that they were in a lot of trouble with God, the people who ask, how is it that you can hang out with drug dealers, gang leaders, pimps, and mafia bosses? He responded to them, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then a different set of religious people who were watching Jesus and his followers at this great feast, feasting themselves, eating and drinking at the house of Matthew, they asked a different question. They asked, why is it that we fast, but your people don't? Well, fasting. What did we say a couple weeks ago? What fasting was? F fasting is going without food for the purpose of focusing on God in a time of need or confusion or seeking or mourning. I'll repeat that. Fasting is going without food for the purpose of focusing on God in a time of need of confusion, of seeking or mourning. And so consider again the question, this second question, why is it, Jesus, that your people don't fast? Instead, they're feasting, and feasting on all the best food that Israel, an Israelite could buy while we avoid any food. Why is that, Jesus? Well, what was Jesus' response? His response is in verse 19. You can read with me. Uh, Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Notice how Jesus says emphatically, they cannot fast. So we talked a lot a couple weeks ago about feasting and fasting in the Bible, nor in the Old Testament, uh, at least in the law of Moses, is there any law requiring the Jews to fast? There's no law in the New Testament requ requiring Christians to fast. But in the Old Testament, at least in the law of Moses, no law requiring uh, the children of God to fast. However, as we discussed, there are many laws requiring the Jews to feast. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. They were required to feast in the Old Testament. They were required, but not only, remember what we discussed, not only were they required by law to feast, they were also what? They were required by law to rejoice to rejoice 
And so uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I shared with you uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 18. This is a law. This is a law of Moses uh, that we read a couple weeks ago. And in it, it says in verse 18, this is a law, uh, what to do at a feast. And, and, and here's what it says. It says, you must eat them, meaning your offerings, your, your meat offerings. Uh, you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses, you and your son and your daughter your male servant and your female servant and the Levite who is within your gates and you shall rejoice before the Lord, your God in all to which you put your hands. And so um, he's actually, that's the second time in the chapter they were commanded not only to feast, but also to rejoice at the feast. So what did we say a couple of weeks ago? Jesus came to fulfill all the laws of the Old Testament. He came to fulfill all the laws of the Old Testament. What did Jesus say himself? He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he said this, Do not think I came to destroy the law. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill the law. Again, do not think, Jesus said, I came to destroy the law. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill the law. Jesus came to fulfill all the laws, including the laws concerning feasts. Now, what does that mean? What could that possibly mean that Jesus came to fulfill a law concerning a feast? Well, it means that each feast in the Old Testament, was a time for people to eat in the presence of God in Jerusalem. And that feast would be fulfilled, or better put, completed, when Jesus, when God himself came in the flesh and would come to be with his people always. Now, in verse uh, 19 there, back in Mark chapter 2, notice how Jesus uses the uh, language of a marriage or a marriage uh, feast. He uses the language of a wedding feast. Uh, there is also so much talk in the Old Testament of the wedding feast. Jesus is the fulfillment of that feast as well. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, speaking of uh, marriage, uh, speaking of the relationship with, between husband and wife, the Apostle Paul uh, says in verse 42 of Ephesians 5, this is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. And, and Jesus says in verse 19, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Listen, Calvary Chapel. On Christmas morning, when the baby Jesus came into the world, he was fulfilling all what was promised in the feast of the Old Testament. Uh, everything, the feast, so that when he comes, it becomes what? A continual feast. If you ask Jesus to become Lord and King of your heart, consider John, uh, Revelation 
consider Revelation 3.20, which says this. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and what? Eat with him, not fast with him. Eat with him and they with me. So notice, Jesus is becoming, he's completing, he's fulfilling the law, even the law of feasting. And so um, unlike the Old Testament in the New Testament, we discussed this a few weeks ago, there's no law to observe a feast. Uh, there is no law to observe Christmas as a feast. You are totally free not to observe Christmas. Some Christians don't. Most Christians do. Now, but the reason that there is no law in the New Testament to observe a feast is because Jesus has fulfilled the law. If you have asked Jesus into your uh, life, like Revelation 3.20 says, you have access to a continual feast and the joy that comes with it. A feast that does not have to stop ever. Now, are there times of mourning? Most certainly there are. But it's important to realize Jesus is a fulfillment of the Old Testament feast in that there is continuous access to a continual feast with joy with Jesus, not just on Christmas Day. And we have, this may sound corny, but it is true every day is Christmas to the man or woman who has made Jesus Christ the king of their heart. But let's continue the Christmas story according to Matthew, um, rather Mark 2, verses 13 through 22. Let's take up verse 21. Verse 21, Jesus says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. No one sews a piece of unshunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. So let's talk again about the dreaded but oh so beautiful 10th commandment. Thou shall not covet. Thou shall not long for someone else's wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, house, car, job, money, friends, ministry, beauty, body, personality, or anything in their life. You shall not long for it to be yours. The Bible likens your life and mine to a garment, to a piece of clothing, to a robe that you wear. And, and what this verse is saying, and what we, we can read into this verse is, what are you going to do, Calvary Chapel, with those hundred times 
those thousand times, or if you're, if you're like me, those 10,000 times that you have longed for something that is someone else's for yourself. In other words, a little rip in that garment with each time that you do that. There's a rip in your garment. Are you going to try to patch over each of those rips? Are you going to try to do it? Every single one of them. Uh, can you imagine what that would look like? Um, what a disaster that would be. If you try to appear before God with the garment of your life, with a thousand, with 10,000 patches, he will not be pleased. What's, new, what's needed is a brand new garment, a, uh, a, a brand new robe, a, a brand new piece of clothing. Isaiah 61 says, Jesus will give it to you. He'll give you a garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness that you have. And, and Christmas, it's about the new. Uh, it, it's not going to do to put new pieces of uh, of God's uh, uh, garment on on this old system. Now, uh, the, the old uh, the old is what Jesus came to do away with, or He came to fulfill. Uh, Christmas is not about it, Christmas is rather it's about the new. It's not about the old. Uh, don't be giving your friend a used pair of jeans for Christmas. Uh, or your co coworker, a used shirt. Don't do that. Don't be giving your sister used makeup. Don't be giving your brother a used shaving cream can. Or your dad, a used chocolate bar that is half eaten by you. Or your mom, a used juicer. Christmas is about the new. It's about the new. Look at this Christmas verse. We're going to make it a Christmas verse today. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So Jesus and this is what verse 19 is, is teaching. He didn't come to make uh, good people better. He didn't come to make bad people less bad. If you think you're good, he didn't come to make you better. If you think you're bad, he didn't come to make you less bad. He came to make you new. He came to give you a new life. He came to exchange his life, which he lived a perfect life, Bible says he was tempted in every way like you have, but yet without sin. And he came um, to exchange your life with the 10,000 patches over it to give you his life. Verse 22, let's continue the Christmas story. According to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, Jesus continues, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine burst the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Christmas is about the new. 
Christmas is about the new. It's about the new. Don't give your wife used flowers, flowers that your neighbor already gave to his wife. Don't give your husband used socks. Ah, Christmas is about the new. Jesus came to give a new life, not to make a used life better, but to give you a new life. One of the best verses in the Bible to illustrate this point, John chapter 3, verse 3. John chapter 3, verse 3 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot uh, see the kingdom of God. Jesus said that to Nicodemus, who didn't understand. He said, what are you talking about? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus said no. And then in verse 5 of John chapter 3, Jesus responded, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water, meaning representing when the water breaks and a baby comes forth from the womb, and the Spirit, when the Spirit invades a, a man or woman's life, when that man or woman says, Jesus, come in as king. I'm, I'm so sick of trying to be king myself. You come in as king. When the spirit, uh, unless the, a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. New wine represents new life in the spirit. Verse 22 says, no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Jesus, I mean, the, the, the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? Do you not know that? Now he's not talking here about every human being. It's not true that every human being in this world has the Spirit of God. The Bible says only a man or woman who is born again, who has asked Jesus Christ to come in as Lord and King. It says at that moment, the Spirit comes in and the Holy Spirit is in them. And the Holy Spirit is the new wine that Jesus speaks about in Mark chapter 2, verse 22, and the new wine cannot go. Listen carefully. The new wine cannot go into a body, into a man, into a woman who is trying to have a relationship with God on the basis of the law, who is trying to have a relationship with God by patching up the 100,000 10,000 tears that have been created by coveting, by longing for, for that which is not his or hers. Uh, that kind of man or that kind of woman is the old wineskin that Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 2, verse 22. The old wineskin is uh, not flexible, it's brittle, it doesn't hold new wine. No, new wineskin, the end of verse 22 rather new wine needs to be put in new wineskin into the man or woman who says, I can't do it by myself anymore. I can't patch up this life. 
I need you, Lord Jesus, my king. That's the new wineskin. The new wineskin is the man, the woman who says, no way, no way I can patch up these 10,000 tears. Give me a new wineskin. Give me that new wine. And so that's the wineskin that the new wine can be poured into. Tell you what. That was the greatest Christmas gift that you can ever imagine. You know, we love the exchanging presents. We love getting gifts and that type of thing. But the indescribable gift, the Apostle Paul calls it the indescribable gift that we received when Jesus came 2,000 years ago into the world and later offers to us for free. A gift cannot be earned or deserved. We can do nothing to deserve it, but he offers it to us freely. So I'm going to ask the worship team to uh, come up at this point, and we're just going to close out the, the worship uh, with, with prayer um, at this time. Um, there's, there, you can After the service, if, if there's something that stirred your heart, uh, in the in the sermon, if nothing else, just thanking God for taking away that garment with ten thousand patches over that patches that were ripping anyway, causing rips in the holes they were trying to cover. Thanking God for taking that away, that that those filthy rags and replacing them with the garment of Christ, the the garment of. Uh, the garment of praise. Jesus, um, it is said that uh, with Jesus, he gives us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And so what a gift. So I'm going to close in prayer. If you could all rise now for the uh, closing worship song, please do so at this time. I'm going to close in prayer. If you'd like prayer after the service, grab someone and pray for them. Um, if there may be so, uh, someone positioned for prayer after the service up front, go to them during worship and pray after the worship song. Uh, I tell you, uh, let this Christmas season, this last Christmas week, just be a time that we thank God for his indescribable, indescribable gift. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. I thank you for um, the, the, the indescribable gift, for taking our filthy rags, for getting us to, giving us that knowledge, Lord God, where we just stop trying to patch up our life with patches that won't even work anyway. And you've taken away that garment covered with patches and you've replaced it with a garment of praise. We praise you now for that indescribable gift. We ask, Lord, for a refilling of the Holy Spirit, that we can go out and share these Gospels of John, that we can go out and live the Christmas message and talk about it, that we can be, most importantly, Lord, be a blessing to you, a praise offering to you this Christmas. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.